This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rochelle Travers, and this is The Leader. For the third time in five weeks, people are being told only to call 999 if it's a life or limb-threatening emergency. Thousands of call handlers, paramedics, drivers and technicians from the Unison, Unite and GMB unions are striking again over an ongoing dispute about pay and staffing. They join the growing number of professions from the health sector who are taking action. Further strikes are expected to be announced in the coming weeks by nurses and other NHS workers. But with our much-loved NHS already in crisis, just what does this mean for its future? Steve Johnson is a London paramedic and Unison rep. Steve, what would it take to end the strikes? Well, it's, it's two things. One for the government to come to the table at least and talk about this financial year's pay settlement. It's clearly not enough. But some kind of negotiation, some some meaningful negotiation would would help. Let's hope the government can put an offer down on the table that we can then just say, okay, we'll stop the strikes, we'll go back to our colleagues and we'll see if that's acceptable. But that's the first part. The second part is we want some kind of commitment and acknowledgement that the NHS has a huge staffing crisis at the moment. 130,000 vacancies across the NHS. Over 40,000 of those are nurses. We've got 10% vacancy rates, at least, across the ambulance sectors. So... We just want some kind of commitment from the government as well. Just say, look, we know that the, the service is in crisis. We know there's a workforce crisis, the worst that it's ever been. And some kind of commitment from the government to say, we, we will respond to that. And we, for next year's pay deal and in future, we will try and resolve this and try and improve the, the staffing shortages. We are striking for pay, but it's not so that we can have four-star holidays instead of three-star holidays. It's so that we can have more staffs and more colleagues to support us. And if there's more staff in A&E, if there's more staff in the hospitals, and if there's more staff in the community, then these queues will go down and patients will feel we'll have much better care. Long ambulance waiting times have been in the media a lot over recent weeks. Can you just explain to our listeners just how difficult is it at the moment doing your job? Well, it's, it, it's impossible. It's virtually impossible. From the time the call comes in, uh, which is normally, uh, unfortunately, the call has been waiting far too long. 
we we get there, we're already feeling a little bit stressed because we know that the impact of our delay, what, what that will have on the patient and the patient's family. We do more often than not, um, virtually all the time, resolve the issues there with the patient and the family. But then taking them into hospital, we haven't taken that decision lightly. We, we know that patient needs to be in hospital. And then to be faced with long delays again outside hospital or in the corridors at hospital, it's just really frustrating. And uh, we just can't, we can't deliver the care that, that we joined up to. We're just nowhere near delivering that care the delays getting to the patient are just causing so much distress so much harm and, and subsequently the delays at the hospital are as well so it is really dis- distressing to see what's morale like amongst you and your colleagues i've been in the job now 27 years um and i've never ever seen it this bad um funny enough i joined uh, in 95 and i joined when we had queues outside A&E, funny enough, and we had so often a few hours delay sometimes. But that was quite transient. And then things improved, and within a few years, uh, that those queues disappeared, and there was extra funding. And then uh, we, we didn't see a queue in A&E for, for a decade, probably. And then as soon as uh, 2010 uh, happened, it, it was like someone flicked a switch. Previously, before COVID, uh, the queues were getting dreadful there were always delays especially in the afternoon onwards we, we had some hope earlier uh, before um, because the government say yeah we've put in extra funding here and extra funding there but the queue seemed to get worse and worse and I think what's happened now is that we've just given up hope now M- t- many staff have just decided I've had enough and it just feels that the morale is is the worst I've ever seen and there are people who are leaving and there are people who are talking about leaving um, and there doesn't seem to be anyone that's that's particularly happy at the moment. And have you ever thought about leaving the profession? I have thought about it, um, definitely. It, it does, it is pretty unbearable sometimes. Just the, the stress of seeing the patients that, that are on your trolley bed that can't be, can't get into hospital. And then knowing that you're going to a job where someone is quite ill and they've had to wait two or three hours for you. That's just appalling. And it just, it just feels quite upsetting sometimes that that you that we can't do the job that that we 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 join we're trained to do so yeah I have thought about leaving and who knows I don't know I I, I still love the job unfortunately and um but yeah who knows can you see the strikes coming to an end anytime soon if we can keep the pressure up not just NHS staff if we can keep the pressure up from patients from public I mean public support has been overwhelming if we can keep the pressure up on the government then that hopefully they could see sense and at least start to negotiate with us but until they do I I can't see it ending for for a good good few weeks months at least um, which is really really distressing. Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear from our health reporter, Daniel Keane, about how the health workers' strikes are impacting an already struggling NHS. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Daniel Keane is the Evening Standards Health Reporter. So the advice today from the London Ambulance Service is to call if you have an urgent life-threatening health condition. So in many senses, if you're having a heart attack or you are at imminent risk of death, nothing changes. You must still call 999. However, the difference today is if you are in a Category 2, what they call a Category 2 call, so you're quite seriously ill, but you don't think you're at imminent risk of death, then you are better placed calling 111 or making your own way to A&E because they're saying that the delays for these ambulance calls could be so severe that there's simply just no point calling an ambulance. And what has the government said about this strike? So the government claimed that a pay rise matching inflation would actually stoke inflation and that realistically we can't bring down inflation, which is currently at around 10.7%, down to manageable levels uh, if we are giving public sector workers a large pay rise. I think inside government, the thinking is very much, although the public is behind NHS workers, if they give in and concede to the NHS unions, then they might have to do the same on train strikes, teachers, this huge wave of um, public sector uh, strike action that's taking place. So I think the thinking from the Treasury is very much we have to stand tough or else we will be giving out inflationary pay rises and actually not hitting our target of halving inflation by the end of the year. We heard from an ambulance worker in part one, and he says this isn't just about pay. Staff shortages are their biggest issue. What has the government said about that? I think that the government and Health Secretary Steve Barclay has acknowledged some of the challenges that ambulance workers face. Um, one of the main reasons that ambulance workers are so frustrated is that they spend a huge amount of time actually queuing outside hospitals in ambulances with patients. Uh, And that's a really demoralizing experience because, number one, it's not a kind of care that they've been trained to give. And number two, they are delayed in responding to calls uh, in the community. So they feel very guilty and frustrated that they can't be out there responding to those urgent calls that they're hearing come through on their radio. So I think that Steve Barkley is aware of this um, and they have pumped some money into um, hospitals to try and free up bed capacity because that's what's actually causing the gridlock is a lack of beds for people in A&E. But in order to really fix the problem, there'll need to be long-term investment and sort of strategic thinking around the NHS. So this isn't going away anytime soon. Obviously, we've had a lot of strikes in the health sector and more are expected. Can you just give us a breakdown of who is expected to be taking action in the coming weeks? Absolutely. So this week, we have a physiotherapist strike on Thursday, which is the first time that they've taken action. And then in terms of ambulances, we have February the 6th, 
and the 20th and also March the 6th and March 20th. And so on February the 6th, that will be coordinated with the Royal College of Nursing, who were also striking on February 6th and 7th. So a huge day of industrial action for the NHS. Some health bosses think it's the biggest ever. So we will really see quite a lot of disruption on that day. Going forward, obviously, we have a junior doctor's ballot. The BMA is balloting junior doctors. So in theory, we could be in a situation in sort of six to eight weeks where you have what is essentially a general strike in the NHS and that's something the government will really have to think hard about, whether it can sort of allow to, to go ahead. How worried should the public be about the future of the NHS? I think we should be really concerned. Um, I think that anybody that has tried to use the NHS, particularly emergency care in the last six months to a year, post-pandemic basically, will see that it that it is on its knees. And this has been a long time coming. I think that alongside the economy, the NHS, the state of the NHS will be the priority for voters. You look at the ambulance response times, somebody with a stroke in London waiting up to an hour and a half, an average of an hour and a half for an ambulance. In, a, in, in one of the world's richest countries, I, I don't think that's something people are, are going to accept. Similarly, you have over a million Londoners on the NHS waiting list for treatment. That's people living in pain, potentially, um, in need of a hip operation, things like that. So I think that the extent of the crisis is so deep that it touches so many lives that it will really cut through to voters. And that's why you're seeing the Labour Party making a lot of noises about NHS reform. It's an area that the Tories will really need to up their game if they're going to sort of have any chance of, of winning an election. And that's it from The Leader. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.